I just started recording. Say that again. <laughs> the, the real problem with society is that ironic dabbing, like dabbing ironically to a problem, is the gateway drug to unironically dabbing at everything. So you think about like, you know, your super low budget. That's the pod- <sighs> like Yeah, that's what the kids want. That's the it turns out thing. It is what the kids want. Like, no one gives a shit about polish. Right. And that's, I mean, that's you dabbed unironically, but then you meant it. And that's the gateway drug. Right. Well, and that's the the reality that people should recognize with things like popular pervasive memes. Like, they don't happen because they're annoying. They happen because something about them is the opposite. In fact, it's attractive. Dabbing is fun. Yeah, <laughs> especially like, <laughs> because it makes everyone angry. Like, so are high fives and peace signs. It's just the same shit over and over again. Oh, you know. also, am I am I allowed to drink a beer on a podcast? Yeah, whatever. I got I got in trouble for doing this at a talk at a medical school recently. Um, at so. a talk at a medical school. <laughs> <laughs> we were over uh, Zoom, okay. Uh, it was also like late at night, so I figured like the rules were a little different. It's but a funny. Like it's an interesting artifice to discuss tearing down in the remote world. Like, what is the actual thing you're trying to do when you tell employees they can't drink at work? Is it about <laughs> is it about like you know <laughs> quality of output, or is it just about like, look, I'm in the same space with you, and if you can't walk, you're no good to me. Well, if I'm not in the same space with you, God. and you're still making brilliant things, do I care if you're high? Yeah, I mean, I, this, is, this is the thing that no one wants to talk about if you work in engineering or any creative pursuit is that, you know, it was the case that your workers just rolled in already stoned and then got a little baked at lunch or took rips of their pens when no one was looking. Now it's nonstop. Good luck. Good luck finding one person who can pass a drug right. test in all of engineering. Right. For sure. Okay. I mean, so, uh, Kirk, what are we talking about today? Yeah, let's do this. Well, first, I got to test this thing out because I think I have a fun button for our intro here. When I think cognitive biases, that's actually what I hear in my head every single time. Just just that that 15-second jam? Oh, yeah. Like when you pitched <laughs> me on this idea, I was already hearing it going. <sighs> well, welcome back to Cognitive Bias. Uh, I'm Adam. And, and I'm Rams. Um, come make some what, – what was our tagline on this? Come make come – make, uh, Good enough decisions. Come make, come make good enough decisions. <laughs> good, good enough that you don't die and remain in the gene pool. Decisions with us. Also, the kids in all of my dating profiles. Um, If you want to understand who we are and why you should listen to us, um, go listen to the first episode. We don't need to repeat that. No, we Um, did promise less faffing about. Um, uh, I will. I will get down to business. I I will give it just the the only the brief of like why why I listen to this. Um, It dawned on me that um, temporal discounting and Pareto optimality rule everything around me. the whole world is just made of like, yeah, that sounds like a problem for future me or yeah, I know I could work harder to make this better, but it's good enough. So ship it. And that is the entire boundary condition of being an adult is those two thoughts running through your head at all times. So uh, I I feel like that's the only appropriate intro we could give is, is a 10 second, like new jazz post hip hop, little, little blip there. Cognitive bias rules everything around you. 
I'm going to biases rule everything around me. And C- here's our 15 C- seconds. C-Bream. Yeah. You're trying to work on what the what the most Wu-Tang acronym is there. Let's get on Cameo and get Redman to help us out with that. He's got us. He's got dirty old bastard dudes. Um. Okay, so first one. What do we have up on the on the docket? Uh, yeah, so I figured let's just go alphabetical because they're all oh, interesting. Okay. Um, and then and I lost my window. Additive bias. Additive bias. Can you give us a definition? A tendency to solve problems through addition, even when subtraction is a better approach. And I think this is important because this isn't suggesting that you're like Derek Zoolander and you can't turn left and you can't you can't subtract, so you're just adding. It's like this isn't a mathematical thing. This is the general human proclivity to need to solve problems by adding more shit to the problem space instead of taking away shit from the problem space. Do you think that's because of a of of a perceived at the time of the decision or or I should say like a a, a failure is it easier to imagine the cascade of changes to your system, whether that's like your thought system or like literally the app you're working on, if you add a thing versus if you remove a thing? I think so. And I think that's what the theorists suggest. So now admittedly, additive bias is one of those. So by the way, for all cognitive biases, like it's not like we've cracked open brains and said, aha, I found it, the bias nucleus. Like we- <laughs> We don't have really aggressively solid understandings at a scientific level of where cognitive biases live, what circuits they're operating on. We've got some imaging data. We've got some lesion data. So we can stick someone in an MRI and look at what their brain does and be like, aha, that's where it is. Or we can find someone who's had a stroke um, or a blockage or cancer in different parts of their brain, and they've had uh, the death of brain tissue, and we can say, ah, that kind of explains part of why they behaved the way they did. But most cognitive biases, we don't have that for. And additive bias, 100% is one. And it's kind of still at a complete like conceptual framework level. We really only sort of know what's here. But that does appear to be the consensus, Adam, is that it partially is because, or at least we could describe it as, we have a really hard time thinking in complexity and emergent properties. And most of the stuff we try to deal with is complex and has emergence to it, even if we, we think it's complicated or non-emergent. And removing stuff appears to require redoing all the system math to the new state in which you've removed something rather than like, well, it's basically the same plus this thing. And that difference in lift there is probably where the additive bias comes from. The best that we can tell. Right. And and I, Which, I love historically where where problems like this come from. They've, they've pointed out, like philosophers have pointed out like most of the terror of the modern condition is that um, every time we create a problem using technology, the only politically viable answer is more technology. We've, we've, we've right. got no means to think well, about how to solve the thing by taking things away. Unless it's bad enough that we're willing to discuss regulation, which is in sense, in a sense, a way, you know, taking things away, which oh my God. is very unpopular right now. Um, but it is, the it is idea that like, we need to make some rules for the good of everybody, really not popular globally right now. 
<laughs> uh, but still added it. Um, in its nature, admittedly, still added it. Yeah. Uh, this thing's bad. We just not do it. No, we can't not do that. We can add these other things to the system that discourages particular states. Ooh, right. that's com- so, that's you were leaving complicated and entering complex. Then my next question, though, is is how much of it is just emotional? Like people get attached to the way that the system works currently. And like my perspective on this is I don't think I have problem. I don't think I have a problem with this additive bias. And it's one of the reasons that I have a high paying job. If I'm completely honest, I'm really good at going into a meeting and expressing the unpopular opinion that the most simple answer is for us to ax these four precious things. And everybody looks at me like, what? We can't possibly... And I'm like, look, let me explain my logic to you. And by the end, they go, you're right. This is the way. <laughs> oh, no. But like, but yes. but a lot of that is that that down, that that feeling I hope you heard in my voice, which is that people get very emotionally connected to the system as it is. And when you say that a thing is going away, if they're really connected, like they might even have to go through grief cycles around <laughs> that. Where, yeah. where instead it's like, it's even easy. It's, it's way easier to just say, oh, well, we'll add a person that'll be a manager of this problem. And now the problem is uh, handled. Yeah. And it's sort of like, oh, okay, but what if that manager sucks and they're, and then they suck too. And you're going to complain at me about how much it sucks all the time. And like, is that worse than the grief? I don't know. But like, it's mm-hmm. way easier to process right now. The idea that you're going to have to mourn the loss of your beloved, you know, like button or whatever. <laughs> no, that's that, that's a great example of this at an organizational level. Um, and I feel like anyone who's done any writing in a sort of more than casual context knows that um, that second phase of cutting and cutting and cutting is the hardest and most valuable part. Um, and that's where that's where the friction comes in, and it, it's it's I'm I'm praying I'm not being too apocryphal on the source, but I think it's Stephen King who, who you know chanted about killing your babies um, for for destroying your works, for destroying your creative works. You need to take what you've made and you need to destroy it, and you need to destroy it, and destroy it, destroy it. Um, not just so you get good turnover in your creativity, but because this thing you've made is probably large and cumbersome and overwrought. And it is only as you trim it down to get to what was in Da Vinci's terms, um, you know, simplicity is the ultimate form of sophistication, um, which you have that, but, but even nature favors answers like that. Like we have, we have a word that I didn't realize biologists use in the way we use it until I like got way the fuck out of grad school. It's the word elegant. So a biologist will look at a problem that nature has solved with a particular protein or gene and describe the solution as an elegant solution to the problem. And it made a lot of sense in grad school because what it meant is basically that was exceptionally clever. And if one person had figured out how to do that as an engineer, we'd invent a new prize just for them for how clever that thing is. And you solved some very hard problem with a very simple tool or a very simple process in a way that's robust and adaptive and you look at it and you just kind of be like, shit, that, that was a good one. That we call that elegance. Um, and, and if and you compiled a bunch of them together into a TikTok, you could, you could call it life hacks and get a thousand, you get a million views. Yeah. But yeah. all those little things that you go, wow, 
So that didn't need to be what I've been sold my whole life. You know, part of this giant omnibus solution for everything in your life. It's just like, <laughs> oh, a plastic hook. Yep, that solves it. <laughs> How yep. about that? <laughs> yeah, what's this this old adage from the the U.S. military? Again, who knows how apocryphal this is, but um, if it looks stupid but it works, it ain't stupid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think additive bias is is just interesting from the perspective that you know, in addition to being something everybody does, it it touches people who are in managerial and creative roles. I think a lot more than we think, and it is that tendency for everyone to say. I think as you described, no, I've got an attachment to the way we've done this. And, and not even to say like um, that there's anything like normative or wrong with that per se, but our reluctance to then trim and trim to get down to it and say, well, what, what really needs to go on here? And is what I needed more people or more time or more requirements or is what I needed to reduce system scope and complexity? And so when people, when economists try putting people in the lab to see how they play with these things, it turns out that not only do people continue to fall prey to the additive bias, but the right answers are almost always the answers, funny enough, in which you just had to like take away one piece as opposed to adding 10 to improve an outcome. So right. we, when we remember that, we might remember that if we're trying to make decisions and we have the intuition of like, but if, what if I just tried blank, blank? No, no, no. You need to take something away. That's probably what's going to do it for you. Yeah, I literally have a thing on my wall that says when in doubt, reduce complexity. I mean, particularly like it's 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 on the whiteboard where I do a lot of my strategy whiteboarding. And it's usually like if you're stuck on a thing, usually the answer is four steps back from where you're trying to find the solution because you messed up a prior step that that introduced the complexity that's baffling you now. Um but I hadn't thought of it through the creative lens. If you had if you hadn't said it, I was gonna say the kill your darlings line. I have no idea who said it again either, but it's a thing that filmmakers get really familiar with because you literally like at every phase of making a movie, there's a new round of cuts. And so there's literally like the term, the cutting room floor is like the most painful thing to a screenwriter or a director, because at that point you shot it, a bunch of money went into it, you find it, it's ready to go. And you're just sitting there going, ah, I love the face he makes so much but the pacing is off and we have to cut it. We'll put okay, it in the DVD so extras. What, it's like what, that what, four minutes of film costs us $10 million and Ryan Reynolds is beautiful, but we can't put it in the movie or it'll fuck the whole thing up. <laughs> oh, it hurts so much, but you got to do it. What, what um, kind of bias does that sound like? Oh, I've already shot it, but you know. Yeah, exactly. They're all layered here. I yeah, was everybody. I was I was flailing for a way to have there be a Ryan Reynolds cognitive bias just then, but that's a complete <laughs> the Van Wilder we'll call that one. Yeah, yeah, the Van Wilder effect. I'm sure there'll be something like that. Um, so here's what I'm just realizing that we might want to um, to not get anyone's permission, but do anyway. So I have an app on my phone that um, gives me the oblique strategies once a day. Um, Kerp, are you familiar with the oblique strategies? Uh, I, I can guess based on the one of them that you just showed me. Okay. Um, actually, no, no. give me the definition. Okay. <laughs> this is from their app. And this is actually a pretty good definition. The oblique strategies is a card based method for promoting creativity jointly created by Brian Eno and Peter Schmidt first published in 1975. Um, and it's a, a Brian Eno is a, a character. A, yeah. I love Brian Eno. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a deck of cards 
And if you're ever stuck or just feeling particularly not very Eno that day, you can go and get a card out and it's going to give you a piece of context that's supposed to like unglue your brain for just a moment and and try to to give you a different way to think about the problem from a different oblique angle and maybe get at a solution here. Right. And I feel like what we need is the cognitive bias card deck where it just gets shuffled. And instead of describing the bias, it's just like the one line solution you're supposed to do, like just try removing something. And that's what we should sell. That should be the thing of, of, of getting to give people the, right. the one line solutions for yeah, when they're stuck. It's probably like you're attached to it because you built it or it doesn't matter that you've already spent a year doing it or right. just remove something. <laughs> and that would get just delete something. Um, the one you showed me said, do nothing for as long as possible, which made me think of a funny film school story. Uh, yeah. I was in an acting class where at the beginning of the scene, I was supposed to just be waiting in a waiting room. And I didn't realize that the first line was mine before the next actor came in. And so I sat there just on stage in front of my whole acting class, just waiting for like 15 minutes before the acting teacher was finally like, I got to break this up. You know, you have the first line, right? He was like, you're really good at waiting, though. <laughs> I was just sitting there for 15 minutes, like, pretending like I'm in a waiting room, trying to be chill, looking around, look at some people, look at some thing over there, fixate on it. Hey, what's that thing about? You know, like, oh, oh my God. Anyway. Fucking uh, wait, but the other thing that makes me think of, there. though, is like, the oblique strategies sound like what in a film class or something we would call obstructions, where like, we used to do projects where they would say, okay, here's a, a two minute story and you need to tell it in five different ways. And here are the rules. Like you can go, if you look up obstructions projects, you can find them all over YouTube. And it's like, one of the rules will be, uh, it has to be animated or one of them will be like, uh, you can't move the camera. One of them will be, you can't edit. So you have to do it all in one shot or like, and they specifically put these like obstacle is the way type things in front of you that force you to do it differently and break you out of the box of however you were imagining this film would be based on your experience, you know, et cetera. I love that. Um, but yeah, those, those are good exercises for busting through this kind of stuff. And it's funny how much working on projects like that is probably like probably feeds into my awareness of these cognitive biases and stuff like yeah. being pushed through projects like that, where you do you sit and do nothing for as long as possible. Like it, 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 you know, it pushes that frame that if, if it works the right way, sometimes never goes back and you're always just sort of like, Oh yeah, that's the same thing that happened that last time. Uh, and this is the hope for it is that by the combination of lived experience and a small quantity of pointing these types of things out, we get a disproportionate impact in people's lives and ability to live good lives and make good decisions. So I'm, I'm reminded of, you know, every now and then my brother would, would send me a spicy meme of something like you are now breathing and blinking manually and hearing that would just like fuck with me for five minutes. I'm like, Oh, now I am. Fuck you, dude. Um, and it's the idea that like, you know, getting in someone's head breaks, they're just natural flow right. of the thing. Um, and this isn't that, but it's also not not that. Because the notion that you can go through your life as a relatively mediocre decision maker, which most people are, most people 
most people are kind of bad decision makers. The people who are good decision makers are mostly mediocre decision makers. And then Ray Lowy was said before, make really good decisions really consistently. Because um, it's really hard. Like it's a combination of just dumb luck strategies. And did I say dumb luck yet? Good enough. And experience. Um, right. So if someone has experience, if you can bootload the identifying markers of, hey, I've kind of noticed that I, when I've got to solve something, I just kind of keep throwing things at it until I've got this giant mess when what I really needed to do was just take something away. And you point out, yeah, that's a thing. That's not just that thing that happened to you once. Right. That's not just you. You're not weird. Yeah. That's this how This is brain. a brain problem. Yeah. <laughs> oh, interesting. And that's the hope is that you arm people with the, the huh piece and then they feel like they now have a different lenses by which they can go and look at different parts of their life and say like, no, I can, I can make more sense of how, why decisions go the way they do and then make better decisions from there. That to me is part of the latent hub of of why. Do you think, do you think, to what extent do you think this stuff is exacerbated by sort of modern educational approaches? Give me, give me more context. How do you mean? Well, I, I often explain to people that I don't, that, uh, I mean, you've known me long enough at this point. I seem to have the answer about a lot of things, but I don't yeah. think I know a lot of stuff. I think I see the pattern. I see the algorithm. And then when you ask me particular questions in certain spaces where I understand the algorithm, I can extrapolate the answer to a good enough degree that I can answer most normal people's questions at a Thanksgiving yeah. dinner or whatever. Yeah, dude, I didn't a, learn that from school. In fact, I got bad grades in school because I'm good at that because I can't remember who said anything when it comes to philosophy. Right. Um, your, I, your, your context, you're a, you're a white middle upper class, like male think boy born in the like seventies to nineties in which like the, most of the name of the game is like excessively high agency and self-determination right. and then <laughs> a complete belief in like first principles thinking. And you're basically just saying, yeah, I know enough of the, I've read enough of the first two chapters of the book to know the fundamental formulas and I'm good at deriving on the fly. So I don't really need to read the rest of the book. And that actually gets you really far in life, especially when combined with really high agency. Cause then you're like, yeah, but I'm probably right. So I'll say it. Right. And the, the people that make you like shudder and cringe the hardest are those that have your component of agency, but either didn't read any of the book or only read the last like 30 pages of the book, but none of the first principles part. And you're like, all right, you sort of arrived at a semi-okay conclusion, but I know that if I had you extrapolate whatsoever or try to talk your way back as to why that happens, you can't answer it. Um, and it's probably equally why um, at those same Thanksgiving dinners, people just wish that for fucking once they could find something you didn't know everything about. Right. Well, like what it makes me think of in the bias territory is, you know, I, I studied my my undergraduate degrees in philosophy. So I spent a lot of time hanging out with the classics kids and they would all sit around and it was just like, it's funny. Cause you'd think the people that sit around and study logic, like as part of their degree would understand fallacies and stuff, but they would all sit around and it would be like, okay, it's very clear to me that you don't understand the underlying philosophical argument, but you just flopped like a, 
like an appeal to authority on top of it because you can name the philosopher who said it. And I can, I can never, I've never been able to remember that stuff. Right. But it seems to me that this gets around to my point, like their appeal to authority, like that bias has been ground into them over and over because in the types of conversations that help them excel in the academic context, like being able to remember that it's Kant and recite it thusly gets you an A, whereas I got like itinerant B minuses because I would literally go, I can't remember who said it, but, and then I would explain the concept perfectly because that was the interesting part to me, not like the right memorization, which crusty yeah. old white guy in Austria said it 200 years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so this is the analog <laughs> of why aren't there more really, really, really wealthy economists is that the, the difference between having an instrumental understanding of um, the mechanics of flows of capital are really is a really different thing than knowing how to go use that information viably. Right. Yeah. Not a lot okay. of not not a lot of got, really really not a lot of really really rich people who know what shelling points are or who care. Right. Yeah. Well, so, if you want to get into crypto, you should pay attention to shelling points. Yeah, look, that's they are made manifest by token economies. Yeah, uh, what I hear recently, um, really good, really good artillery men um, need neither directions, orders, nor a compass. They just naturally have good shelling points. Oh lord! I know, I know. It's I need, I need more sounds on the soundboard for that one. Yeah, that one. Okay. Just we got two minutes left. Dare we? Dare no, we try to uh, pop off agent detection? No, no, we're not popping off agent detection because agent detection is so cool. It's probably where God comes from. There, okay, then we should use this time to tease next week. Next week, we will talk about agent detection, which, which is the inclination to presume the purposeful intervention of a sentient or intelligent agent. Oof, it's Ramsey it's, wants to talk about gods. I kind of want to talk about like the TikTok algorithm. Okay. Because all kinds of over the place, all over the place, a tiny little bit of intelligence turns into like worship. Anthropomorphizing, right. agency, gender, <laughs> like everything launches off from that. Um, so tune in that, next week. It's so cool. Yeah. Should I play okay. the outro sound before I stop recording? That feels yeah, right. Damn. Oh, I'm not sick of it yet. That's good. That's good. I, I try to pick catchy jams. I think you. I think you killed it. Um, okay. Uh, so for everybody who was listening, thanks for making good enough decisions with us. I'm Rams. I'm Adam. And we'll see you next week. Next week. <laughs>